Hey, Nathan, it's great to have you back in the studio because we have both been traveling. That's right. Uh, I think your traveling's been a little bit different than mine. All right, yeah, well, I did go to Hawaii. Yeah. <laughs> but you did get to go uh, to Flagstaff for the Overland Expo, and we're going to be talking about that. So we're going to be talking about the Overland Expo. Mm-hmm. We're going to be talking about your ride uh, oh, yeah. that took you down there, uh, and uh, surprisingly good off-roader. Very competent little machine. And you've got a story to tell. which i got which, several stories. Which, uh, Honda, if you're listening, you may want to walk out of the room at this point. I'd rather <laughs> have you not listen to this. Yep. <laughs> oh, yep. And I'm going to start with a little bit of racing rant and a little bit of racing trivia. How's that? Okay, let's do it. And then, of course, because I was in Hawaii, we were talking about the Tacoma, so we'll, we'll finish up on the Tacoma. Because I know it's not trucks, Nathan, but it's such an important truck. It is, and I know a lot of you guys go back and forth between one channel and the other, and I'm sure you're interested in some insight. And he was right there when it was debuted. So Yeah, we have two basic podcasts. We've got this one where we talk about cars, and then mm-hmm. Andre uh, and Nathan uh, talk about uh, trucks. And this week, what are you guys talking about? Heavy-duty trucks, right? Heavy-duty trucks. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. And uh, there's a lot to talk about with those heavy-duty trucks, too. So I do recommend checking it out. So if you want to get, you know... Both podcasts, go to altfl.com, or if you're on one of the platforms, that's Talking Trucks. This is Talking Cars. All right, Nathan, so I'm going to start with a little bit of uh, trivia. You know, um, well, if you're listening to this, uh, the race has already happened because we're doing a little bit of time travel. But for us, it's about to happen, and that is the 100th anniversary of Le Mans. The 24 hours of Le Mans. Yeah, the Frenchy uh, (laughs) ultimate endurance race. It is a bucket list thing. I have been dying to go all my life. So I have three trivia questions, two of which I know the answers to, Okay. one of which I don't. All right. (laughs) right. I'll give you the first two, and then we'll leave it up to the uh, viewers or listeners to give us the third answer, okay? Okay. All right, so the first one, what brand won the first six Le Mans this is from 1924 to 1930. What brand? And if you're very good, Nathan. Uh, that's where they got the nickname, the Bentley Boys. Yeah, the Bentley Boys, and it had the Bentley Blower. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Oh, very, very surprising. All right, here's another question. Another sure. trivia question. What car brand has won the most Le Mans, and how many? Ooh. Ooh. And this is it's, it's easier than you think if you think about, uh, you know, and this brand, actually, I'll give you a hint. This brand didn't get into Le Mans until pretty much later in the game. So they weren't, so that it, it tells you it's a newer brand. So it's, you know, in the 20s, obviously, Bentley was around. This yeah. brand wasn't around in the 20s. Actually, well, it wasn't around in the 30s either. Yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm weighing in between Porsche Mercedes on one side and Ferrari on the other side. Well, you, you, it's one of those. Okay. Go with your gut. So I'm going to say... Go with your first gut instinct. <laughs> first gut. I'm going to say Porsche. Yes, exactly. And I'm going to say... How many have they won? 11. 19. Whoa, I was double digits, though. All right. Okay. Very well, good, Nathan. Oh, I, I love them all. I absolutely do. Um, and uh, there's so much history there. Uh, I've actually been to the town of Le Mans, but not during the damn race. And so here I am running up and down going, well, this must be the Molson, and, you know, whatever. Um, so a lot of cars are actually named for the corners and straights that are at this race. And it's just phenomenal, phenomenal race. Yeah, and maybe this year Ferrari, that came back for the 100th, maybe mm-hmm. they'll actually win it. So by the awesome. time you're listening to this, you probably know. We don't know. We're, mm-hmm. we're, we're just, you know, we're taping this before. Are you rooting for anybody in particular? Uh, well, my heart has to go with uh, Ferrari because, you know, it's kind of a storied brand. But uh, maybe I'm a big Porsche file, too, so maybe Porsche. Uh, who else? What other German brand has won? I think the second most. This is an, this is an interesting one. 
Well, I thought Mercedes. No. No. Audi. They've been oh, like ruling sense. the roost. Yeah, uh, Audi did for they had like four years where they had their their uh, even they they even had a diesel that was like winning and winning and winning and winning. I keep forgetting about that one. Oh, I have one the more tri- trivia question. Yeah, I yeah. know the answer to. Okay. What was the first Japanese brand to win Le Mans? And it wasn't Toyota because Toyota came with them like very good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Dang, you know your stuff, Nathan. Yeah, uh, that was their four rotor or four, it was like six. It was uh, it was a rotary. Right, mm-hmm. and it was just an animal, and they actually made it illegal to race that thing after that because it was so dominant, and so capable, um, and I can't remember. It was like six rotor. It was something crazy in terms of its capacity. If you listen, if you go to uh, YouTube and listen to it, it sounds like no other sports car in the world. It's I thought incredible. I'd stump you with that one. All right, and here's the one I don't know the answer okay. to. Okay. All right, Phil Hill won Le Mans. Yeah. He, and he, he's the only race car driver ever to win the Triple Crown of racing. Mm. I don't know what the Triple Crown is. I know Le Mans is one of them, but what are the other two? Uh, Could it Indian, be Indy? Indy? Indy. Yeah. That's why I'm asking you guys. Monaco? Maybe a Formula One race? Did, well, did yeah, Phil so I was thinking Monaco. So um, maybe he won an F1 race, a Le Mans, and Indy. At the, at, at, Does that yeah. sound right? Yeah, we're it's, guessing at this, but yeah, I guess I, I could Google it, but yeah, it's I more mean, fun to guess. It is more fun to guess, and I think... Trying to think of Phil Hill and actually his racing past. It sounds like Indy makes total sense. That would definitely be one of them. And then, yeah, Formula One race. And then the question is, which Formula One race? And the yep. biggest one, one of the biggest ones in the past. One of the oldest is Monaco. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So uh, let us know. Let yep. us know in the comments. Um, you know, uh, my memory isn't what it used to be. <laughs> All right, so now it's time for everybody's fan favorite, a Roman rant. And this isn't really a rant. This is more of a question. So you and I both love motorsports, right? Absolutely. Yeah, and one of our favorite kinds of motorsport is off-roading. Yeah. For me, at least. I don't want to say Oh, well, well, you know, I love Rally Raid, and I love Rally, and, and uh, you I know, love Baja. The, and I love Dakar. Yeah. Oh, so, so there's this saying, right? And I'm, I'm thinking this is not true anymore. Mm. I think it may have been true when it was first like done maybe in the 60s, but there's that saying like race on Sunday, sell on Monday, Monday, right? I'm not sure that's true anymore. And I'll give you an example of that. And this has to do with the car, right? So, you know, Mini races Dakar every year. Yeah. And I love Mini as a brand, Mm -hmm. but they don't sell an off-roader. And I'm like, why is Mini, why is Mini in Dakar if they don't even sell an off-roader. It just seems like this becomes something that, like, um, you know, the the CEO of the company wants, but it has very little to do with actually, like, selling cars nowadays. Mm. I mean, no one's watching Mini win a Dakar, which they haven't, by the way, and then going out well, and buying did, one. Well, they did a couple years ago. Right, but not and recently. Then, yeah, um, and in fact, I think they and won the same, two in a row. And the same thing can be said for Audi. Okay, now, Audi I'm going to push to the side for a second there, but with Mini... A couple things. You're, you got to rem- remember your history. Right. Mini did win rallies back in the day. They're little tiny, exactly. Yes, mini. yes. Okay. So they're bringing that back, and that is in, in itself some cachet for marketing. Remember, it's marketing. Right. Second thing is, yes, they do build an off-roader, but it's not really an off-roader. And a countryman's yeah. off-roader. No, but it, it is built, and a lot. If you look, at, especially at the European ads, they show it in the snow. They show it bouncing around with family, going camping, stuff like that. And when I was at the Overland Expo, which we're going to be talking about later, there were some people who brought some minis and they put some rooftop tents on them, and they're like, "Yeah, see, so it's kind of an off-roady thing," which it's not, of course. And I should remind you, my friend, that when the original Countryman came out, you and I tried to take it off-road. 
Do you remember? I remember when we hit a big like, rock and we and turned we around. <laughs> <laughs> it was like a three-inch rock. No, it was like a five-inch rock. And we were like, we're done. We're done. Yes. But we did try to take it off road. The, I mean, I could. I think I moved the rock. But <laughs> it didn't go well. But, the, but there's a point to this. And being an owner of a mini countryman, which I am, I can tell you, it's it, there is a little bit of rally bread goodness in this vehicle. All right. Let me make the business argument for this. Please. All right. So uh, I was just uh, in Italy with uh, Alfa Romeo. Mm -hmm. And that is a brand that has actually won Formula One. And Formula One, by far, is the most expensive form of automotive racing. I wouldn't deny that. Right. It's it's hundreds of millions. 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 Tens of millions. Maybe even hundreds of millions. Right. Uh, And so, you know, Alfa Romeo um, is in Formula One. And they haven't been exactly dominant or successful. Right? Not recently. No. Not recently. In the past, they have. And I'm thinking to myself, wouldn't the brand be better served? Here's an idea to actually take that money. And if you wanted to stay within the brand, because Alfa Romeo needs a beautiful car very badly right now, because all they have are crossovers and sedans, right? They need like a halo car. So take that hundreds of millions and instead of, you know, spending it on, you know, traversing the world, racing cars, actually build a halo car. Mm. Or here's a better one. Take that money if you want to go within Stellantis and use it to develop, let's say, uh, a mid-sized Ram. Okay, but you've missed a very important point with racing. And this, I actually have some insight because I've worked with racing teams before. The money that's going into even a factory effort isn't all factory money. Very little of it actually is. It's a percentage. A majority of that is coming from outside that team. Everything from the tires, the engine builder, to the guys who are being sponsored. Right, but the, the, all of that goes Alfa into Romeo, hundreds Alfa, of millions of dollars. Alfa Romeo is the engine builder. They're the ones investing. They in are it. no, they are I, the I, engine builder. But there's a company. There, there are subcontractors so, that so, do that. So I think I agree with you. Yeah. I think if you're a team, right, you have hundreds of millions of dollars to pay at your to, disposal. To, 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 but but that comes from the people who supply. You're right, the tire manufacturer, but. In this case, Alfa Romeo is the engine supplier. They are the money. They are not the team. No, no, no. I, I get what you're saying, but there's still money that goes into them to produce this as opposed to them bringing it out of Stellantis. I don't think so, so dude. No, I, 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 I don't think anybody is paying Alfa Romeo, or in this case, Stellantis, anything to be in Formula One. I think they're footing the bill 100%, and mm-hmm. I think it's costing them, I'm getting hundreds of millions. And I'll give you another example, okay? Mm-hmm. Because if, if, once again, if my contention is win on Sunday, sell on Monday, I'll give you a brand that is killing it right now that, as far as I know, is doing zero racing. Okay. Tesla. Zero. Zero advertising, zero racing, and yet they're the most successful EV brand in the world, and they're not out there spending, you know, tens or hundreds, and, and you know, Mr. Musk is doing that on Twitter, but <laughs> that's Whatever, a whole yeah, different conversation. But they're not doing it on auto racing, and they're very successful. So I guess my point is, as a fan, I love that Alfa Romeo is – racing but mm-hmm. as a, as the business guy me saying this no longer makes financial sense because my feeling is that like the CEO of the company is using right the CEO gets paid let's say I don't know whatever they get paid 10 15 20 million mm-hmm. which is a pittance pittance compared to what it costs to race yeah right and so he's like well you know I want to go to all these races and I want my you know I want to use it as a way to bring my you know and this is maybe a valuable argument uh, my um, business partners to these races. So that's another reason that we sponsor this. But I'm saying, you know, if you're a CEO of a company and you've got this, you know, budget, you'd be better off to put it into developing better and I think more interesting cars than into, I'm going to say, you know, 
spending it on marketing at Formula One or Dakar. As much as I hate to say that because it's a fan of the sport, mm. I love watching it. But the business guy in me thinks it's just it's just either ego or at this point, uh, you know, momentum. Yeah, I completely disagree. Fair, I appreciate that. that. I appreciate and, and your then, opinion. And, and look at history, and and, and we'll, I'll put a I'll put a yeah, pin in this. Yeah. Um, if you look at Porsche back in the day, Porsche was not a very successful company. True that. And they had to blow every ounce of their budget in order to go racing in they, Le Mans. They almost they almost, they almost went bankrupt twice. Trying, yeah. yeah, and by being successful in the racing they did manage to up their sales and more importantly increase their footprint which was very important now i know what you're saying i hear you about the you know it doesn't make sense if you have such a low sales you know ledger to spend so much money on racing even though it honestly i i and i will argue with until i'm blue in the face it's not coming directly out of them entirely it's it's only a pittance that's coming out of them but i will say this Look at worldwide sales, look at recognition, and the fact that when you say to a car fan, Alfa Romeo, they know it's a racing brand. They know it has a racing history. And when you have that, and then you have a vehicle that you can sell, which, by the way, overseas sells a lot better than it does here, then I think that there is a case for racing. The only question is what type of racing is best. And I guess somebody said, yeah, hey, let's go back to Formula One, which is a hell of an effort. A hell of an effort. Well, and it's not just off Romeo. It's Ford, right? They're, mm. they're going in with... Red... Honda's coming back to Formula Honda's One. Honda's just announced, yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll, put, I'll, I'll come, come back with two things. First mm. of all, Porsche did almost go bankrupt. Uh, and they were first they were saved by the Boxster. And then they were supercharged by the Cayenne, right? Those were the two brands that, that the two... The two uh, I'm just specifically referring to the money they put into racing. No, no, no. I'm, I'm saying, yeah, yeah. I, that's fine. I, I'm yeah. not disagreeing. I'm just saying that the two, the thing that saved Porsche was first a Boxster, and then what supercharged sales was selling the Cayenne. So those were the two cars that really helped. But I would argue that Porsche has built a brand mm -hmm. based on the 911, and so maybe it makes a lot more sense for them to go racing. Uh, Mini does not have an off-road reputation, right? You see, it, with Porsche, Le Mans <coughs> actually lines up with the brand equity, but with the car, it certainly doesn't line up with Mini's brand equity. So that, that that's kind of Mini does more than rally racing. You know, they have a whole road series that's overseas. Sure, they have a whole that makes more sense to me. Yeah, but 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 it does. That's not an international thing. It's sort of localized. I think it's British. Um, and then but, the, can we finish the Alfa Romeo yeah, oh, thing? Please, please, please. So so the reason I started thinking about this is I was, you know, with Alfa Romeo in Milan, mm -hmm. which is where they're headquartered, uh, and they said something interesting. They said that be, depending on the car, but between 80 and 90% of their buyers are guys. Yeah. And that probably has d directly to do with the brand's reputation, right? Because I bet you if you were to ask your wife how many Formula One races Alfa Romeo has won, she probably would be like, how many what and what has won? You know what I mean? Uh, and so... I think if you're trying to sell the Tonale, which is a hybrid crossover, I think to a woman, I think all that racing history means nothing to most women. And not everyone. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to be stereotypical here. Mm. But it, it certainly resonates more with men than with women. Mm. You know, so so, like I say, once again, I'm like I'm I'm not sure if that money is being spent wisely. I think they might do better building, like I said, a halo car. Or you know, doing more quadrifolio. I, I don't. I don't know what it would take to sell more cars, women in America. They're hoping the Tonali will be more appealing to women as opposed to like ninety percent men, which is what this the is Julia, based on what they told you, right? Which is there. what the Julia sells to, right? right? Yeah, yeah. And the Stelvio right now. Mm. It's a very macho brand. Uh, yeah, They're very testosterone heavy. Yeah, yeah and that I, comes from racing. Mm -hmm. 
Um, anyway, you were saying, sorry. Yeah, no, no, that's all right. Yeah. But uh, you know, to, once again, I want to put a pin in this, and maybe we come back to this one day. But um, Alfa Romeo is in a transition right now. So are all mm. the brands, or many of the brands, True at that. Stellantis. Uh, Stellantis came along, and they said, if you're losing money, we're going to invest in you. You have five years, I believe they said, to turn profit, to, to make us happy. And if in that time you don't, you're done. And that was Fiat, Alfa Romeo, Dodge, Chrysler, and I think there was one more. And that, I mean, they were serious. They're like, this is, has to happen. There's only a few brands that Stellantis owns that are actually really making money and keeping them afloat. So Alfa Romeo does need to make some changes. I think that one of the things they need to do, which is remarkably important, is build a reliable car. Not for Europe. Hmm. The European market's very different than the American market. It's got to be able to get 100,000 miles on it trouble-free. It has to be competitive with Toyota and Honda. And it has to be the now. You guys came back, both Fiat and Alfa Romeo, came back to the United States with really cool little cars and everything else, and everything was looking good, and then left and right, they're falling apart. And it's just inexcusable in this market. You can't do that. You have to find a way to make them more reliable, spend that money, I think, make those cars more reliable, challenge everybody once you do, and say, come on, let's see what you got. We're going to show you that we can actually build a proper Italian car that actually lasts. So, so let me address that issue. It's a really good issue that you brought me. Then I, I agree 100% on the reliability. Mm -hmm. It's like, and it's hilarious how hard it is to turn the brand around. I remember when Fiat came back, you know, first thing, first comment we got, fix, fix it, it again, again Tony. Tony. Like, yeah. like it was out of the market for 30 years and then immediately right yeah. back to that. And of course the cars weren't reliable. But here, here's where I'm coming from. Like, some of my favorite brands, two of my favorite brands are Ram and Jeep. Mm -hmm. And I kind of feel like right now, those two brands are financing the rest of Stellantis. To a certain degree, I think they are. Okay, maybe I don't know what I don't know where Peugeot fits in that because Peugeot I'm, does very well overseas. Right, I, like I say, it's not it's not in our mm -hmm. wheelhouse here in America. And so I'm like, you know what, guys? And this this instead of like sucking the money out of those two brands. And putting it into uh, Fiat and Alfa Romeo and now Formula One, why don't you put it back? And especially with Jeep, put it back into the brand that's making the money, so that you can keep that market dominance. And I think a good example of that is the Bronco. I mean, the Bronco just came out of nowhere, and, and the Jeep is still selling well. The Wrangler is still selling over yeah. two hundred thousand units. But you know, at some point. I got to think that the Bronco is going to start cutting into that. And, and the I think it already is a little bit. And the recent refresh they did was just not enough, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, what they did was they put on a bigger screen. Changed the front end a little bit. Changed the front end a little yeah. bit and did, I think, one more thing. But, oh, made the seats, I think, electric. But, but you basically caught up to where the Bronco is. Okay. What, what you need to do, what, what had to happen at that refresh, and I love Jeep, is, is, and I think that's because a lot of the money the Jeep's making isn't going back into Jeep. It's going into, you know. Save the other ones. That may be it, but I, I think Stellantis is playing the long game. I think that they're trying, rather than look at what the immediate, you know, response is to, they know that they're going to keep the Jeep you know, people happy at least for a little while. They know they can keep that going. Same with Ram. And they're going to try to re resurrect these other companies while they can and see what happens. And then at the end of it, once they cut the fat and remove it, then they'll be able to reinvest heavily into Jeep. And we do know for a fact that Jeep is about to come out with their all-electric, uh, what was it called, Commander? Yeah, um, I know. I saw the, I saw the Avenger in Europe, which is cool. It's a front wheel drive. Yeah, You're, I know. And then then, then I, they're I, making I, an all wheel drive version of it. You, you think it would here. sell here? Front yes, wheel drive, not Jeep? front wheel drive, all wheel drive. Hmm. But right. I think all wheel drive because that would immediately replace something like a Compass. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? 
Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Just get rid of the compass, boom, you got this. I mean, that type of thing. I think it would be fantastic here if it's all-wheel drive and only offered with all-wheel drive. Forget this front-wheel drive stuff. We're not living in the past. So, and we should put, speaking of Jeep and everything else, let's, let's move let's, on. Yeah, let's move on. So behind us is a picture of the new Honda Pilot uh, Trail Sport, which yep. is Honda's offering. And it's interesting because Honda built some of the best off-roader motorcycles, side-by-sides, side side yeah. and yet they have real no dedicated off-roader trucks. I mean, they're kind of trying with the Ridgeline. H you, you could argue that in the past they had something when they hooked up with the Zuzu and they built yeah, the, sure. the original Passport, but that was a long time ago and that didn't last very long. And so uh, they've now come up with this Trail Sport moniker, which is like the off-road version of, uh, and we've seen manufacturers do this, right? And basically what they've done is they've ruggedized the vehicle by, mm -hmm. by putting cladding on it, by you know making it maybe just a little bit taller. But you had a chance to actually put a Trail Sport through its paces, because what you did was you drove from here all the way to Flagstaff, which is a thousand miles. It's a long way. Well, a little bit less than that, but but um, I took a side route as well. I went to Moab, Moab, and also to the Grand Canyon and the Grand Canyon yeah, the and South so, Rim. And so, you know, when I saw this unveiled, I was impressed because, for instance, they actually put underbody cladding on it. Real which, cladding. Yeah, which is or something. No, armor, armor, not armor. Yeah, yeah, like skid plates, and then they put a recovery hook in the front, which is something you, you don't do. If you're if you're just kind of giving it you know lipstick, mm -hmm. well, because it, it's expensive. There are so many vehicles that are doing. It. I mean, automakers are finally getting it because they realize, oh, people like a more rugged version, even if they don't go off road. A really good example of that is the Nissan um, uh, Pathfinder Rock Creek Edition, which is good. They lifted it a little bit. They put tires on it. They added, I think, a skid plate to it, and it's a more competent vehicle in the rough. But I believe that the Honda is better because it has one really important component added with these tires. What's that? The IVTM4, and Tommy and I agree, it's one of the best all-wheel drive systems out there. It's extremely Surprisingly good, isn't it? You, oh. would, you wouldn't think it'd be that good. No, I didn't. And, and I keep getting schooled with this because in the past, we had the pile, or yeah, the um, Passport, sorry. We had the Passport with the... Um, uh, the this edition with the passport and the passport wasn't or trail sport trail sport sorry got it in my head um, but that didn't have very good tires on it and it didn't have as much armor and everything else I drove it in the desert and it was okay this is better because the tires these are continentals and they're fantastic so so I'll tell you the internal workings of TFL here so Nathan was going to go down to the Overland Expo and mm -hmm. and so Honda offered to take give us a vehicle, and we thought it'd be a great chance to get a long drive, and so thank you for going, Nathan. Oh, yeah, no problem. Uh, but the plan was to go through Moab and do a little bit of off-roading, and your plan originally was to go on fins and things. Now... Tommy said no to that. Yeah, because the boys, um, uh, Alex and um, Case, had just come back from taking stubby on fins and things and tearing off the front spoiler. <laughs> right. <laughs> so there's only a 19-degree uh, approach angle. It's just not enough to really do... I mean, this the traction... And the capability and even the suspension, no problem. It's the front end that I would have screwed up on fins and things. Yeah, and it's got a lot of like these kind of straight down. Yeah, into the dirt, but also into rock. Into rock, yeah. And, and that's where the issue comes in with your approach angle. And that is exactly what the issue would have oh, been oh, here. And we've named those obstacles like ass scratcher. Mm -hmm. 
So yeah, button clincher. Button clincher. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. So, so it, it, it really is a good test of approach. And let's face it, this is a family hauler. Yeah. And so why they did give it off-road credibility, they didn't necessarily like give it a. They give it a minor lift. Exactly. And it just wasn't enough. And that's that's fine. So what I did was, now, by the way, I'm, I slept in this vehicle for three days. They actually gave me a blow-up mattress in there, and I, I lived in it because we wanted to overland. We really wanted to do that. So <laughs> that's what I did. And I discovered something, Roman, about overlanding. There's one, there's one thing that's missing with overlanding. What is that? A hotel. <laughs> You like the shower. I, I, yeah, I'm getting old. I, you know me. I used to love being out in the spring. Yeah, no, 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 yeah you I like, know, the, I, like the shower in the toilet. I, I like a hot shower and, 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 and a soft bed. Anyway, so so, so... so instead, you decided to take it up Hurrah Pass, which is great. It's yeah, perfect for that. Perfect for that. So Hurrah Pass is this beautiful pass that goes up... Uh, kind of into the mountains, and there's some great ledges, but there's also a pretty Honda. If you're listening at this point, Carl, uh, just maybe cover your ears, yeah, my friend. Yeah, go. Although I did tell snack. your people what happened. I I told the, the rep what happened, and um, so, there, so, so to, you, you went through this. Tell me about the water crossing. Okay, so the water crossing. There's there's various dry riverbeds going through, and we've been on this course before. I've been on it. We've done yeah. it several times. We actually recently did it in our Go Large series, where we went way out there and camped and everything in these large. SUVs. Anyway, well, recently Moab way, had a bunch of rain. Go big. Go big. I said good, didn't I? He said large. Go big. That's okay. Let's go big and large. Okay, so anyway, <laughs> so long story short, riverbed crossing, they recently had a ton of rain, lots of moisture. Of course, it's and spring. And it was the second river, you yep. know what I mean? Yeah, I know. And so I see this large like lake in front of me, and I'm thinking, I know this thing can water forward easily two feet plus, but... I don't know how deep this is. And I was watching, like, there's one ATV that went through there. And I thought, hmm, okay, I can do this. So I start easing my way in. And the front end starts to dip a little bit. And I start slowing down. I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to take it easy. Maybe I'm going to pull out of here. And as I'm thinking this, a giant side-by-side, -side, huge Polaris, goes powering through past me. Didn't want to wait. And the bow wake from his from what he did comes up and over. Not only did it splash over the hood, it actually splashed completely over the windshield. And we're talking about that thick sludge Moab red mud. So, so you're starting TFL boat all on your own. <laughs> Submarine. It was U-boat. So, TFL U-boat. TFL U-boat. And immediately, what the second the water just splashed, engine cuts off. And, you know, the inside of me does this... Thing and it was pretty. Um, and getting water into uh, an engine is never it's, good. It's never good. And I've, I've been there before, I've hydro locked before, and I'm just thinking, oh my God, I've just killed this $50,000 car. And what I immediately did is I shut it off because it was trying to restart itself. It shut itself off immediately. And I think that there's a sensor yeah, that tells it. If there's water coming into the mm -hmm. yeah, yes. moisture. Yeah. So what happened was, I, so it's like, okay, I, I've got to, so I crank the hood, get out of the car. And I go, and it's waist-high water and goo, and that, which is very comfortable, by the way, i got to say, and smells great. And I went around, opened the hood, looked in. Fortunately, the intake was almost completely clear, which is great. So I shoved one of my shirts in there just to make sure, way in there to make sure any water or anything I could soak up. Meanwhile, I start cleaning off the battery. At that very moment, this is two minutes into my um, debacle, this guy in this modified monster Jeep says, Hey, you want me to pull you out of there? And without missing a beat, I said, yes, please. I didn't want to mess with it. And one thing you do not want to do when you're submerged or when you might be submerged is restart your engine until you know 
that you're, you know, driving. Yeah, no, for sure. Did he, did he pull you out forward or backward? Backward. Yeah, because so, uh, there is a hitch uh, or a thing. In the but, front, but it's way underneath. Yeah, and not only that, but I'd have to go even deeper into the water. Oh. And I thought, nah, but, I don't want to But do luckily, that. because the trail sport has a hitch now, yeah. it's got a recovery point. So you yeah, just hooks both up in to the, the front and the rear. Yeah. So I just hooked up to the hitch. Yeah. And this guy, I got in. Now, here's the thing. I couldn't put it in the neutral. Mm. Uh, because it won't start. As it won't start, you can't put it in neutral. There is a way to do a release, but I didn't know it offhand. Yeah, nobody, so, yeah. It's like the Humber. Th- I had the same the problem. Same exact yeah. problem. So this dude with serious torque dragged me out. The front wheels were completely locked, dragged me out of this goo. And there's video that you're going to see on that. I actually have some video footage of that, at least from the inside of the cab. Okay, so he leaves me. He even offered to take me into town, and I thought, you know, I know where some campers are. I actually had a friend who was in the area. I could get out if I needed to. So he leaves, and I leave the hood open. I dry everything off that I can, the battery, especially the whole terminal. I pulled it apart and dried everything. I let it sit for 15 minutes, let the sun do its job, and it fired right up. That's great. <gasps> yeah, because being stuck in Moab. And this was on your way down to the expo or on your way back? This is my way down to the oh, expo. Oh, so you would have made you would have been. And this yeah. is technically day one. It's actually day two. On my way down from Boulder, I stopped over uh, about three o'clock in the morning, Monday morning in uh, Grand Junction. There's an off-road area there, and I pulled in, and that was actually technically my first night sleeping in the the pilot. But that I barely, you know, three hours or whatever. Second night was here in Moab, and I went to a KOA, and they had a laundry service. Yay! So I was able to use their washer and dryer and take what's care it, of What's it like sleeping in? Does it get cold at night? No, I didn't no? get that cold. Um, no. But I had a refrigerator, which worked really well, by the way, and this will be in the video. And unfortunately, I left that thing plugged in to a little power reserve, and as I'm sleeping, it, it's an actual refrigerator, and it kicked on a few times, which wakes you up and freaks you out. Anyway... Um, sleeping in it wasn't too bad. I actually lengthwise, um, and I'm six one with my shoes off, probably six foot and a half, and I fit perfectly in there. Better, more comfortable, by the way, if you go with your head towards the tailgate. I found out later on. Um, except I kicked. I think I, I didn't realize I did this until Zach brought it up to me, and I disfigured a little bit of the uh, or the uh, center armrest too. Had no idea I did it, but. Other than that, the interior is pretty wide. You can put a 4 by 8 sheet in there if you leave the tailgate up, but it has to be kind of cockeyed to get in there, if you're wondering. Anyway, so then I take it down from there to this place called Back of the Rock, and I do a bunch of off-roading, which is the picture you see behind me if you're able to see it. And that's where I did a whole bunch of off-roading, and the reason I went there, soft sand, which is the one thing we haven't driven in this yet. We've done yeah. snow, and we've done the rollers, and we've done the Onyx off-road course, but we haven't done that. So I did a whole bunch of soft sand, performed great. It has a uh, sand setting, which works fantastic. It actually delays the acceleration a little bit and changes the algorithm of the shifting. Worked great. And uh, then from there, I went to South Rim um, Grand Canyon, and I got hailed on thunder and lightning the entire time I tried to camp there. I tried lighting a fire, and you'll see it, the video. There is a fire, and then the rain came and knocked everything out and destroyed my campsite which was awesome. <laughs> and then from there, I went to Flagstaff, Arizona, and that's where I met Andre, uh, and we went to the Overland yeah, Expo West. It got rained on again. It got rained on like crazy. Cats and dogs day one. We were supposed to cover the Toyota Tacoma that day, but it was so gooey that they switched it to the next morning at dawn. So Andre and I 
got our stuff together and came back the next, uh, you know, seven o'clock in the morning, right there, and with a couple other journalists, and we covered not only the um, what's the name of that really expensive version of the Toyota, the, the Trail uh, tra- Hunter, Trail Hunter, but we also did the, the pre-runner. Uh, pre-runner, and the pre-runner that was the, the official debut. It wasn't there in Hawaii; it was where we were, and that's cool. The pre-runner, two door, two seat, two seat base model, essentially. Toyota Tacoma. Two-wheel drive. Two-wheel drive with a rear locker. So you could do donuts. Yeah, uh, you could do a lot of things. You can get out of a lot of trouble with that. (laughs) I probably could have used it. Um, Anyway, so I met him there. And then once we finished up after a couple days of Overland Expo, I went to Santa Fe, New Mexico, and went to the Dead Dog Trail. And that's where I ended my adventure in the pilot. And it was flawless other than what I did to it. And I, I, I feel terrible for that. But the good news is it survived. Yeah, so how was it as a road trip or overlanding vehicle, and how was it as an off-roader? Okay, off-roader, really good. Much better than you expect. But here's the most important thing you have to remember. Let's face it, a lot of people aren't going to be taking a pilot off-road. No, they're really not. No. But it can... Family hauler, basically. It's a family hauler, but this version of it has the right tires. It's the most important thing that Roman and I have been saying for years, tires. If you really want to do off-roading, it doesn't quite have the, the height. It needs a little bit more, but you don't want the height if you drive it every well, day because it gets 24 miles per gallon on the highway yeah, if you're that's lucky. That's exactly right. You're, you're, you're then Honda's in this pickle, which everybody's in, right? The more you lift it, except for Subaru, they don't seem to care. <laughs> they, no, but they, they also have a CBT, which is pretty efficient. Yeah. Yeah. So you're in this pickle where you know you can go for off-road or you can go for on-road, but the two aren't basically compatible. You can, make yeah. it, you can make it from a fuel economy standpoint, at least. That, and, and that's always been the conundrum for a lot of people out there, that you want a more off-road version, off-roady version of everything that's out there. But, but you put the, on bigger tires. And a lift, and suddenly aerodynamics and everything else, and drag, everything goes out of the window. So this thing does not get great mileage. That is one of the issues. Uh, un- unless you're a bro truck. Guy or gal. If you're a road trip, then who cares? Everything gets thrown out. Yeah, you're you're in the teens if you're lucky. (laughs) Um, But this one um, on the road, the tires are a little bit noisy, a little noisier than the regular pilot, but it handles just like a regular pilot, a very comfortable ride for the most part. Actually, I mean, the steering's a little numb, but other than that, I think that this is one of the best vehicles in its class that can do almost everything, and it can tow 5,000 pounds. I mean, it's really. Just a really solid, solid vehicle. So it's funny. One of the cars that directly competes with, of course, is the Kia Hyundai Twins, the Telluride, and the Palisade. Yeah, and I would take this over uh, Telluride, I think. Yeah, and I remember when the Telluride came out, they actually launched it in Moab, and let me take it Mm off-road. So also a V6. Um, But um, that's one where – I'm not going to call it lipsticky, but it it has more – it has more, and, and, and recently, the last version of it, I actually got to take it off-road. And that one had uh, beef, beefier tires. Yeah, little, yeah. Little so, 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 so they did kind of the same thing. And that one's called the Trail X, I think. X-Trail. Or X-Trail, yeah, yeah. It's got like Trail, that. yeah. yeah X-Trail. There's an X in it, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and I did okay off-road, um, and, I, I, and I appreciate, you know, that they're both uh, Honda and Hyundai Kia are, are doing, you know, more off-roady stuff. But you run into this, like... Question, which I suppose they're asking themselves when we do these podcasts, like how many people are actually going to take these things off road, right? I, I mean, yeah. I, I guess if you're going to have a family, you're going to go camping for sure, or in snow if you're going to or, go skiing. But but as a as a real overlander, mm. so between the two of them, the Honda 
First of all, the IVTM4, it can take up to 75% of the torque and send it to the rear axle, then up to 100% of that torque can go to whichever wheel needs it. And between using braking and the gearing and the rear clutch and everything else that it's going on, it is able to put power everywhere you need it. If you watch Tommy's video, I think which is on off-road, um, and he puts it on rollers, this is one of the most successful three-row crossovers we've ever had on rollers. Yeah, he did. He, he told me that uh, it did really well. Yeah. Really, really well. Yeah, surprisingly well. So they have the system. So let me explain the rollers. Please do. Yeah, I just don't, in case you guys don't watch uh, TFL. So Tommy uh, does this vehicle test that uh, we've been doing for a number of years now. Four years, five years? Yeah, so? yeah. So yeah. we have these rollers, and he puts the car on, let's say, rollers with the front wheels mm -hmm. to see if it can get off the rollers. So, that is so, so basically what happens is the front wheels spin, obviously, in the rollers, so it has to send power to the back. Mm -hmm. And then if it does send power to the back, it gets itself off the rollers. Right. But then it gets interesting because then you could put it on not one, not two, but three sets of rollers. That's right. And then, then basically you're seeing if it can get itself off the rollers using only one wheel drive. So, and that could be the front or in the or rear. Or the rear, right, yeah. exactly, which Tommy tests both. It's a very thorough test. And we don't use four rollers because obviously that wouldn't work. <laughs> so in case you were wondering, no, four rollers, is, you're not going to get off that. Unless it's um, six by six. Yeah, it's a six by six, or unless you go like 100 miles per hour, destroy the rollers, and then you can bounce up and over. No, this test has been We've refined. We've destroyed the rollers. We've done that before, yeah. A lot, yeah. Uh, but the point is, is that Tommy's refined this test, and now what, we, what he, we do is we do the whole thing at the ranch, and then from the rollers, he'll take it on our off-road course, Basically, to show in practice how the systems work, and the Honda, and it was the exact same Honda that I drove, uh, did remarkably well there, probably best in class for that. So by me taking it into these other elements that we haven't tested yet, soft sand and apparently water, um, it was very well behaved and beyond what most people would need with an average crossover that might go on a trail. This one will do it that much better. If you want to go any further than this, then you need to work your way up to something that Jeep builds or perhaps, you know, a Tahoe that's built for off-roading. Or a truck-based. Yeah, yeah, a truck-based uh, vehicle because you're no longer, you're past that, the capability level. Um, but this is also $50,000 for this thing. It's pretty pricey for, you know, what is basically a Honda family hauler. So let me ask you, uh, what was the Expo like? The Expo was fantastic. Um, every year we go, now it's interesting, there are a lot of very expensive rigs there, and I agree with you guys. It's like, hey, this, this sucks. There's so many things that are $100,000, $300,000, way out of my reach. But there were a lot of booths there from a lot of um, upfitters, aftermarket, and whatnot. And some people had some great ideas for average and even cheap or less expensive vehicles. And that was all there on display. And if you couldn't find it at the event, you walked right out to the campsite, which is right there. It's all in Flagstaff. And so many people do these inventive things to their running everyday rigs. It was awesome. So let me ask you, you did a bunch of videos on a bunch of different vehicles, and right. those are going to be at all TFL. Mm -hmm. Is there one that sticks out, one that you were like, wow, this is badass, or this is unique, this is something I haven't seen before? So Andre and I did a huge walk-around video where I think it was like 40 minutes or 45 minutes of walking around. And at the very, in the rain. In the, yeah. in the rain. Yeah. And, you know, some of you guys are going to say, Nathan was grumpy. Well, because I had already been rained on for four days leading up to that. And I was sick that day, too. I just I had a horrible uh, nasal thing. And that was all the rain. Anyway, the point is, is that, yes, I was a little grumpy. But the very first vehicle that was there, it stood out to me, but in a bad way. Okay. 
Um, and you'll see it in the image if you go and look at this video. There's this giant international 6x6 that I'm standing next to, and it makes me look like a tiny little child. I it's, saw that. You guys look like you were like Lego t Lego men next to it. It had three stories, technically. It was insane. Where can you even take that? That's exactly one of the problems. Aside from the ridiculous price of this thing, right? It was, I think, 350000 at least. You can't take it anywhere. You're not... Overlanding anywhere in this, unless you're on some frozen tundra. Maybe desert or tundra. Exactly. That's there's, all there is. There's the whole thing about overlanding is having the maneuverability and the capability to go to these remote places where a cell phone won't work. At, at and, that point, just get a Prevost, right? One right. Of, one of those like fancy buses. You, well, this thing was even bigger, Roman. It was just so <laughs> because it had a third extending story where people were. When Andre and I got there, we actually saw people partying on top of this thing as if they were at a NASCAR race hanging out, drinking on the top of this, and this thing extended, this roof thing, and then they actually closed it when it started raining. It was ridiculous, and to me, it's just like, this is the ultimate of what I dislike about overlanding. This is everything that's wrong with well, it. Well, let's, let's talk about that, and before we go, go to Tacoma, which is actually a good overlanding, mm -hmm. right, because they have a special one we can talk about that, Indeed. You, that you saw, too, the new Trail Hunter, so we'll talk about that. But, look, um, I think, you know, I listened to Scott Brady uh, over... Uh, at the Overland. Scott's a great guy. Yeah, yeah. Oh, good, good, good guy. He, you know, Overland uh, Journal and him and Matt Scott, another great guy. You know, they've they've been around the world, or they've been to a lot of places. I think they've been around the world. Right, but usually most Overlanders I know who are doing this for real are saving up for years and then have a budget, and that budget per day is not a lot. No. We're talking, you know, maybe if you can do it on twenty-five, fifty, seventy-five dollars a day. Or even $100, and that includes food and fuel, mm -hmm. you know, because that's what you have, right? And that's the kind of overlanding I, I really admire and look up to. I think buying a $1.5 million Earth Roamer uh, and, and driving it to, I don't know, I don't, I don't know, Baja. Pebble Beach, yeah. wherever you, that's not, is that really, is that no, overlanding? That, that's, that's not that's even just, that's just, that's just, that's just luxury. Uh, rich people mm -hmm. camping. That that you know because the, the, the romance. You know, I love motorcycles. So to me, some of my favorite overlanding is on motorcycles. Absolutely. That, that makes that just takes everything down to its cleanest and barest element, right? It's you. It's in the wind. It's hard, right? You gotta you gotta you know, sleep. erect a tent if you're lucky to even have on one. the side and, of the road. Yeah, right. It makes you feel like you're alive because you're struggling to live. Yeah, Every, I don't think an earthwormer does that. You know, when, when you've got like chilled champagne yeah. and fluted champagne glasses and, and a luxury interior that yeah. has you know goose down and I, I'm sheets. Not, I'm not trying to pick on earthwormer. It's just it's just the but most expensive of, the, of that breed. It's it's one of the top in terms of its overall. You know, but and there's so many other ones. You know, you walk around there, you look at these builds, and you're just thinking to yourself, my God, what do they do for a living in order to be able to buy this? You know, it must be a retired doctor or whatever. And I get it. I mean, you're at the expo, right? Right. You're not going to be showing off like a guy on a KLR or a gal on a KLR. Actually, you are. <laughs> are you? Yes, because they had a whole motorcycle section. Okay. And uh, they they had several different guys showing saddlebags and all these other things for their motorcycles. And the thing about overlanding, and this is, yes, I know it's kind of a trendy term, Overlanding is camping. Really, the only difference that I see is that camping can be done when you're hiking, so to speak. And I don't consider that overlanding. That's camping. Overlanding to me is getting in a vehicle of some form, everything from a bicycle all the way up to this ridiculous 6x6, and going to a place where you are off the grid and you are forced to use the vehicle or whatever is around you in order to survive for a certain period of time. And... 
that to me is the challenge, and which is why I slept in this Honda because I lived in it and I changed in it and I ate oh, in it and I cooked out of it. I, I apologize to our press lead. <laughs> it smells better now. I actually made sure it was disinfected before I was Thank you. Yeah, yeah, I do apologize for whatever damage was incurred. But uh, for the most part, it survived me, which is saying a lot. Bottom line, though, um, the Overland Expo had a ton of our fans in there. We, yeah, did, they, you, the, did you get the side of some of them? Uh, I'm sorry, did I say hi to someone? Oh, yeah. even on camera. Yeah, oh, quite oh, a few of them. Yeah, that's great. And we they, love you guys. Yeah, we really, really, truly do. And we love, come on up and talk to us. And we love our Patreon supporters. So <laughs> Thank especially you, you guys. Patreons, and, yes. and we try to answer your questions, but guys, we get so many questions. It gets overwhelming uh, sometimes. So if, if we don't get to your question either on the podcast or in real life, we do apologize. It's not that we're trying to ignore you. It's just that... Between making videos and traveling and, you know, producing podcasts and writing websites, it's just a lot. Considering we have eight channels, four websites, auction site and all this other stuff, and Roman, I'm sure, is already choosing five other things for us to do individually, <laughs> there's ten of us at TFL, and all of us have to do multiple juggling. So we, we sometimes, things do fall through the cracks. It's not you, it's us, and we will do our best to compensate for that. But... Speaking of compensating. But we love you guys, especially our Patreon supporters. Thank you for the extra money. It allows us to keep up this crazy schedule. Right. And by and the way, this podcast. And if you are a Patreon supporter, we will answer your question directly. And that's including an email back to you and everything else. So keep that in mind. No, we'll you try. Should, well, Andre, Andre takes care of all of them. Andre is on it. Absolutely on Thank it. Thank you, Andre. Yeah. <laughs> it's better than him than me. I'd screw it up. Um, anyway. So, so, let, so let's, let's go back to trucks and cars. Yes, um, because the Toyota Tacoma had its reveal there as well. But here's a quick question before you go there. Sure. Why wasn't the Tacoma unveiled at the same time at the expo as it was in Hawaii with the embargo? Because initially they were supposed to all come out on Friday, and they didn't. Why? I know why. Why? Because somebody hacked, according to Toyota, somebody hacked in and started putting the images, dozens of images on the internet. Well, you, you want to hear that story? Yeah. All right, so you guys know what embargo is, right? So Toyota invites us to go not just to the Tacoma, but also the, Anything, Grand, really. the, the Grand Highlander uh, at in Hawaii. Mm -hmm. and, and I think that was smart on their part because ostensibly me and Andre went to do the Grand Highlander, the new one. Um, but really, the, the, the story for us was a Tacoma, and I think for you too, right? Because it's just a much it but was if, most but if, popular. But if you want automotive journalists to drive, you know, another car in that very crowded class, it's good to do it in Hawaii. Yeah, I bet. So, um, and there's a video coming, but there's an embargo. So, an embargo means basically that the, the manufacturer says you can put out your video at this time, or your story, or your TikTok, or whatever podcast. And that's the, the reason behind that is to give all the journalists the same. Uh, chance to be on the playing field at the same time. Right. Right? It's fair. And we have this rule, uh, your party, your rules. Mm -hmm. This is important, Nathan. So yep, their program, their rules. So, and we follow it every time. So, so yeah, so the embargo for the Tacoma was Thursday night at 7.30 Hawaii time, mm -hmm. which is not a good time, Nathan, because 7.30 Hawaiian time is like midnight in America in the rest, depends on what where, but right? Yeah. But yeah, it's like anywhere from like 11.30 to like 2.30. Right, right. And not a lot of people are up... <laughs> <laughs> Two thirty. Right. So that was a little um, like I, I mean, once again, their party, their rules. So I'm like, what? Well, that's fine. Right. So we got there Monday and uh, we got rained out. So we did a very uh, wet interview with the 
Chief Engineer Sheldon. Thank you very much, Sheldon. Good guy. Oh my God, is he a good guy? That yeah. guy knows his trucks inside oh, yeah. and out. People kept in the comments kept saying that you guys were brothers. I, I think you have a very similar uh, kind of tone to you your voice. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you, I, I, you have a similar attitude. You're both kind of very kind of you know. And we're both a little bit meaty. Well, um, well, yeah. I wasn't going to say that. It's okay. <laughs> Sheldon knows he's beefy. And, you know, Sheldon, you are my brother from another mother. <laughs> but yeah. you have that very kind of chill attitude and good voice. And, yeah. and so I, I think people felt like you guys were very similar. Anyway, so, so we do that. And then I'm like, hey, guys. And I, you know how you said I go white gorilla? What is that? White back gorilla or silverback? silverback. Yeah. yeah so so I, I kind of did a little bit of that. I, I feel bad about that because I was like, you know, we, we've got. The, here's what happened. So here's what happened, okay. Nathan. When we started this, right, mm -hmm. there was Truck Trend, which is Motor Trend's truck channel. Mm -hmm. There was PickupTrucks.com. Mm -hmm. And I'm talking like 10 years ago, right? There was Trucks.com, mm -hmm. right? All of that is gone. Yeah. They, they, we, we, we're the, we're the last ones, you know, specific to truck. We're the last truck publication standing. Mm -hmm. uh, and the reason that's important is they had invited like 100 journalists, or maybe 50, I don't know. There were a lot of people there, right? But none of them, because there are none, had a specific truck outlet, mm -hmm. right? And the way this works is you can be Sofian, who's a good friend of ours. Yes, you can be Rady. You could be, you know, I'm just naming YouTubers who are all there now, right? Mm -hmm. uh, you could be Moto Man, great guy, right? Yeah. But these guys don't have necessarily a truck audience, Right, right. They That's do specific to truck. Yeah, but we've spent the last, and you and Andre have done this, so thank you very much. The last ten years building up a truck audience. Yeah, yeah, which is true. Mm -hmm. People come to TFL Truck for their truck news, and they make their truck buying decision based on yours and Andre's reviews. Because let's, I'm not once again, I don't mean to be critical, but a lot of these people, what they do is they they point at cars, not mm -hmm. trucks, at cars, right? Mm -hmm. that, you know, but we actually take them out and tow with them. Yeah. And off-road them, um, uh, you know, and the these most extensive testing. Right, and these, this is hard to do and 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 problematic because you can damage things. Yeah. But it gives truck buyers uh, a sense for what the vehicle can do because it gives them. Yeah. it's not just opinion; it's actual uh, like numbers put to opinion on the icon. visual like, facts right. so that you can see on video. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or with with the slip test, same thing. Mm -hmm. So I kind of feel like you know we've earned our stripes in the truck world yeah. by doing this. Uh, and so when we got rained out, I, I went to uh, Connor, who's great, by the way. Thank you, Connor, at Toyota PR. And I was like, hey, I need more time. Mm -hmm. and, and I said something, which I'm not usually boastful, but I've been listening to a lot of podcasts. And like I was just listening uh, to um, uh, the podcast, that uh, the Porsche podcast, mm -hmm. uh, Spikes. Spikes yeah, yeah. Car Radio, and, you know, and he was talking about like his numbers on his podcast and how he's number one in all these countries. And we usually, I don't like to do that. That's not my style. Yeah. Right. But uh, I was like, hey, you know, I mean, you know, our video is going to do more views than many of these other car people combined, and it's mm. the truth. And it, it is, did. It is the truth. It did. Yeah, it, it got did like six hundred thousand views. So, um, so you know, we worked very hard. And we did four videos because Connor was kind enough to kind of sneak us in between while the other people were. And everybody mm -hmm. only had like 45 minutes with the trucks. Right. And there were four trucks. Yep. So that's not a lot, right? So they took us back the next day, stuck us in. Um, and then we did this video where we profiled all, all four trucks. And then that night on Thursday, they were going to do a big luau and they were going to drive the trucks like on stage. Yep. But as always happens, uh, somebody got a hold of the press release, not just the pictures, the press release, the press release and all the pictures and published it to a forum. Yep. Now, I've heard tell, and I don't know if this is true, I've heard tell that the forums were actually trying to crack, the, and I think this probably is true, trying to crash, crack the media websites. 
Mm. So there's a media website where this stuff is, you know, presented ahead of time so we can publish it on embargo. Right, and there's usually passwords and whatnot. That right, but those passwords can be pretty, you know. Some of them can be pretty easy. Yes, yeah. And so, and so somebody may be, and there's actually people having fun with it, trying to break into these things. And maybe somebody cracked it, downloaded the entire press release, all the pictures, and they published it. Yeah. So now, all of a sudden, Toyota's in this bind because... They're like, hey, uh, you know, we've got the big luau and the big, you know, all, all the like the managers are going to be there and the big presentation, but the information's out there. And all the journalists are like, if the information's out there, then we're losing potential. Right. That, that, yeah. And so initially they sent an email saying, you know, we're going to go with the plan and do 730. And uh, Andrea, like, fine. And we had all the videos ready and loaded to go. And then I get this email. It was like 1.30 Hawaii time saying, we've moved the embargo from 7.30 to 2. Mm. <laughs> but, you know, we'll leave that up to your discretion. <laughs> so if you want to publish, we can't stop you from publishing. So I called Zach and I was like, what should we do, Zach? And he's like, somebody's going to publish. Yep. And it might as well be us. Yep. <laughs> so we published a video at like 1.35. And then, of course, Sofian saw that we published. So he, he followed and published, and it became kind of this free-for-all. Yeah. So, so that, that's a long answer to your short question. Yeah. Sorry. So what happened was uh, we actually had a similar issue over at Overland. Now, the vehicles are already out in the public. We've already put out our videos. But Andre and I put together one other video where we compared the Trail Hunter, which is really at the very top of the line. Yep to the pre-runner, which is near the very bottom of the line. It's only like one step above the absolute base model. And the whole purpose of that is showing you the two directions that the new Tacoma is going. And seven o'clock in the morning on Friday, we're gonna have access and we decided uh, to let a lot of the other guys who actually came in from Hawaii, a bunch of them did, including our friend Tim, and we stood back and let them kind of go around and do some shooting. And then we went and started doing our shooting. Um, and everything was going great. Unfortunately, some people aren't aware of the fact that their phone is actually a camera as well. <laughs> so as we're filming, there's this one guy who was just walking through our shot again and again and again. And, always. And had you been there, you would have gone silver back on him as well, um, which is always fun to watch, by the way. Anyway, so um, you may notice that in one of our, in, in one of our videos. There's, some, there's one particular guy who's going back and forth and just right in our frame. Uh, we did our best to avoid him. But the bottom line is that we got that video. Altogether, I think we have six Toyota Tacoma videos out there. Yeah. Um, and that's just within the past week. And they're killing it. They're killing it. <laughs> and, and that's important for you guys to keep in mind. It's one of the most important pickup trucks in its class. And I want to make, I, I just want to apologize. I said, you know, guys pointing at me. I didn't mean to be disrespectful. You're doing more than pointing. Obviously, you're reviewing the car. Some of them are just pointing. Come on. <laughs> But some of them are doing a really, really good job, too. Hey, look, I acknowledge that our competitors out there, and we have plenty, yeah. some of them are damn good at their jobs. Oh, hell yeah. And some of them blow. So <laughs> I'm just being honest. But for the most part, most of you guys, and you know who you are, kick ass. So anyway, but uh, and you don't have to apologize. Don't worry about that. All right, all right. There's, so, a, there's a point to this, though. Yeah. And it, it, let's go back to the product. The Toyota Tacoma is leading and has been leading for years and years, and it will establish the way, the wake in which other trucks must follow. So even though we recently had the Ford Ranger come out and we just recently had the, you know, uh, Nissan Frontier came out, what, two years ago with the whole new thing. And then, of course, very importantly, Chevy Colorado and the GMC Canyon, all new. All this stuff is hitting new. As good as those are, the Toyota Tacoma establishes the class. It sets the bar and I think it set the bar pretty high, especially with the variety and, most importantly, drum roll, 
Three pedals, baby. Manual transmission option. I know. Yeah, I, I said that they kind of went F-150 on the Tacoma, right? Where they're, they're the market leaders. They sell the most, over 200,000 units a year. And, you know, they had, let's be honest, they had GM coming for their lunch. Mm -hmm. uh, they have Ford coming for oh, their yeah. lunch with the Ranger. GM, of course, with the Colorado. And uh, even Jeep, you could say, to a certain degree. That's like 60,000 units yeah. for the Gladiator. Uh, and they not only, you know, stood up to him, but they took it to the next level. Blew me away what yeah. they did. I, think, I did not expect I think, all of this. I think Andre said there were up to eight different trim levels, which is yeah. incredible. Four, four different, different powertrains. Power, uh, well, one powertrain, four different powertrain options. Four, yeah, powertrains. Yeah. Well, so it's all four-cylinder. Yeah, uh, but they're all turbo, and then you hybrid at Next, the very exactly. top. Yeah. Manual transmission. Eight-speed automatic. I think, I think there's three sizes of disc brakes now that you can get. Discs, all discs, baby. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then coil springs or leaf springs, depending on the model you crazy. get. It's crazy. And then they started with, like, you know, the base model is still there, the mm -hmm. SR, right? And then they went one above the TRD, I think. I, I, Andre said, and he's probably right, like the TRD Pro is kind that of... That is a, your off-road beast. Right, whereas the Trail Hunter is more it of your overlanding. Is your overlanding beast. Why are they different? Suspension is one of them. Over, uh, the uh, Trail Hunter uses Old Man Emu, one of my favorite brands, and they don't pay me to say this, by the way, for suspension setups, and it is a compromise like you won't and, believe. And ARB. Yeah, but ARB as well, but the but the suspension setup right. alone ARB is enough. The blows, yeah, the bumper and stuff. But uh, then you go over and you're looking at Fox with the 2.5, I think it is, mm -hmm. over at the TRD. Very different setups, very different types of play when you're going off-road. I'm just, I, I cannot and, wait to drive these. And they did something I've never seen before, mm. and that is they created a suspension seat. Basically, a oh, seat with, sus with suspension in it. So I mean, cool. I, I mean, there are these seats, right, that you see in, like, pickup trucks or buses. Porsche or, has a suspension seat, I believe, so, a type. So there are these seats that do, like, it's in one axis, right, so up and down. Well, apparently this is in three axis because there's, there's these little shocks in the back, and you can actually blow pump them up depending on how much suspension you want. Uh -huh. So it's supposed to stop you from not only, because you know, let's face it, the suspension, even if it's long arm, can only do so much. Right. At some point, you, you know, you run out of travel. And then suddenly head toss, yes. and then you're not able to really oh, hold on. and disconnecting sway bar, too, to yes. get rid of the head toss. Yes, yes, the head, yes, the disconnecting sway bar system, even though it's an independent front suspension. Yes. Awesome. And then so, the seat with like three, three axis of, of suspension. So that keeps you even more composed yeah. as you're doing some hard off-roading. I'm freaking the hell out over all this. So very, very cool stuff. I only wish, yeah. I only wish that Toyota, there, there are a couple things I, I kind of wish. First of all, very happy that they kept the styling so it still looks like a Tacoma, like a Tacoma right instead of looking like a Tundra because I don't really like the looks of the Tundra. But... They still did a fake hood scoop. Yes, I asked that question right away, and Why? I thought of you. I channeled Minor Nathan. I know, and they keep saying the same thing. It's easier to control the heat because they're very heat sensitive. Yeah, but it's not a real hood scoop. I know you guys are like, oh, wait a minute, you can make it into one. Yes, I know there's a panel, and you can remove the panel. But why didn't they do that from the factory? And, why isn't it okay? And then that uh, the one that we the uh, TRD uh, Sport has mm -hmm. that silly. Uh, Front spoiler, which is like oh, it's huge it's too. Like but they have to maintain tall. their EPA numbers. I know, and, and the thing is, is that there's only nine screws. They're actually very easy to remove, according to a Toyota engineer who was there at my event. Takes just a couple minutes. Was you know, there? You know, was Sheldon was there. Yeah, 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 he yeah, yeah, yeah. that's why he and I. Yeah, he's great. Yeah, yeah. You call it you him know, and Andre. Had, book or whatever. Yeah, he they they read I did all the way from. Uh, Kona to Phoenix and then drove and, up and, to and, Flagstaff, yeah. Yeah, and then in Flagstaff, they got a downpour where the mud was so thick, people were losing their shoes. 
like the suction. <laughs> Seriously, like left and right, it was awesome. And some guy in Birkenstocks is like trying to dig his, his Birkenstocks out of the mud, and I'm like, ah, you should have worn boots. Let's, anyway, but let, 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 so we okay. What's, I, I'm going to do one more little funny okay. thing here. Um, two things actually. First, okay. I got to spend some time with Todd from Everyday Driver. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. So Todd's our old friend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, he's hung out with us for years. Yeah, yeah. Out of, out from Salt Lake City, and so we had some really great conversations. Does he still have good hair. I wasn't. I think he had a hat on. <laughs> I think, he, I, I think you're thinking of his other partner. No, no, it's Todd. Todd. Todd has good hair. No, Todd's the tall guy with the long hair. No, that's the other guy. Uh, what's the other, I can't think of the other Paul. guy. Paul. No, oh. Paul wasn't there. Todd, or was Paul there? I get him mixed up. I think Todd was there. Uh, Todd is the bald guy, I think. Okay. No, I oh, wait, I can, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Now I'm all flustered. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, anyway, uh, great guy. Mm-hmm. Really a wealth of knowledge, but I turned him on to the prospector, and then he mentioned it in the podcast, so... He, he, uh, he, and these guys are car guys through and through, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. they, they are, they are, you know. But the pro, even the prospector is that they did a Miata video. Oh, where I know. They did all the generations yeah, of Miata. Incredible. It is probably one of the best videos yeah. I've seen in yeah. that. Yeah. I mean, their videographer yeah, he is like it makes us look like we're flipping on the iPhone, which we are. Well, you yeah, pretty much. I mean, <laughs> but we turn out a lot of you know quantity, and theirs is quality. quality so yeah. that's kind of how it works. All right. Well, I think we're going to wrap this up. Um, oh, oh, there was something else I wanted to say oh, about sure. the Tacoma. Um, shoot, I forgot. We were talking about the air dam, and then um, it has recovery hooks, yep. which is, of course, Thank the tundra. <laughs> yes, well, after the debacle of the tundra, I think they realized that they needed to keep the hooks. Yeah. They're way recessed, though. Did you notice that? They're it, way in there. Which is really, it's just fine, it, it, as long as they're there. That's all I care about. Um, the, the, that, oh, I know what I was going to say. Mm. Uh, I was so impressed, by, and, and I'm not that, I'm pretty jaded, so I'm not that impressed. I was so impressed by the Tacoma that we want to buy one. When mm-hmm. it comes out, which is, by the way, is until the end of the year. Yeah, it's going to be a while. Uh, and, and not the TRD Pro or Trail Hunter. I want to get the, just a base uh, TRD off-road, which isn't a base. It's kind of the middle grade. But the TRD off-road still gives you the rear locker and exactly. a little bit of armor yeah. and, and tires. Exactly, and 33-inch tires. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but um, I know that you've owned a Tacoma. I loved it. And I was wondering if any part of you is now kind of yes. <laughs> Jones going to trade yeah. in that Santa Cruz yeah. For, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> for a Tacoma. Um, it's funny because all, right after I got the Santa Cruz, yeah. that's I was right, wondering, yeah. Yeah, that's right when you know the Chevy came out. That's when the you know the uh, the GMC came out, and then of course the Ford comes out. And all I'm just looking at these things, going, ah, oh, so great. Um, I yes. So I sat in the even the base model interior looks good on the new Tacoma because I was inside the uh, pre-runner and it has that two-tone seat yep. and and the seats are comfortable and I fit now. I fit and tall people can now fit in a Tacoma and not feel like their legs are all screwed up. I love the fact that they finally fixed that interior and gave it a slightly bigger cab. It's a huge bit of news. Uh, with my past with Toyota and how much I adored my Tacoma, um, except for the fact that my You're wife right. hated it, it. I got it wrong. Sorry, Paul. It was Paul. Yeah. So, Paul, sorry. You, you got, I, I tend to be correct. You were right. Just yeah. So you know. yeah. Sorry, Paul. I didn't mean that. So, I, Todd, Todd, you have an amazing you, so, head of hair. Yeah, Todd, you have incredible hair. <laughs> And Paul, your car knowledge is astounding. I feel like yeah. I'm a complete schmuck now. Yeah, but right. anyway, no, anyway, yeah, anyway, uh, it was fun seeing the guys there. So, so b- bottom line, though, yeah. yes, I would consider getting a Tacoma. The, the thing is, is that my car cost me thirty-two thousand dollars, and I'll have it paid off within you know a year. And that's what I I, I don't. How like much do you think that Tacoma is going to cost? See, I think the base model Tacoma is going to be about twenty-six, and I think this is my guess for like an absolute base model. Yeah. 
And I think that it's going to go up to almost 60000 once it gets to the Trail Hunter. Yeah, I think you're right. Pricing has not been announced yet. I'm just thinking of the yeah. com- competitors and where so, yeah, they are. Yeah, so the Ranger Raptor is 57 starting. Exactly. And, and here is the kicker, right? And this is what everybody commented. That's before any dealer shenanigans. Oh, yeah. I, and I'm afraid there's going to be a lot of dealer shenanigans, especially with the TRD. And the Trail Hunter. If that happens to you, go to the internet, go to Yelp, go everywhere you can and shame these people into the fact that they've done this. Yeah, at this and point, don't give them your business. At this point, the only power we have is just don't give in to, to that because apparently the manufacturers aren't going to do anything about They're it. They're trying in their own limited way. But remember, at the end of the day, uh, but, they already sold their car. Yeah, exactly. You're exactly right. But I kind of throw my hands up. At that, because they throw their hands up, right? They're like, "Oh, there's nothing we can do." You know, the, Ford's the, trying. The laws, the laws, the law. Ford has been trying. But but every time they say that, another another uh, sale to Tesla or Rivian, right? You know yeah. that. I know. <laughs> we're, we're okay. You don't you don't want to deal with your dealer network. Sorry, that's a double deal. <laughs> but uh, you know, Tesla and Rivian and. Uh, you know, some of the other newer companies, uh, Fisker, yep. right? All these companies are just going to be there waiting to take, you know, your customer's money. And you can just throw up your hands and say, well, there's nothing we can do. Those wacky dealers, you know, it's a free market. And I'm like, yeah, it is. But especially now that, you know, Rivian is selling trucks, right? Because mm-hmm. let's face it, the American companies, especially GM, Ford, uh, and, well, still land is American. But you know what I mean? Yeah. The, the cash cows are the truck companies. Yeah. And they're coming after your lunch. <laughs> These guys, they are like you better do something about it. I, I was, I was thinking like the, 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 and I think the problem is because of COVID and supply chain issues, the dealers are making a ton of money, and all the car. Co- I heard that like Porsche profits were up eighteen percent. Mm-hmm. All the car companies are making, and so maybe they're like, hey, you know, short term, it's all right. So maybe you know people are getting pissed off about the dealership, but we're making so much money, we'll put it on the back burner. But times are changing. They are, and uh, I still stand by my recommendation. Of, it, it may cost you a little bit more to get a vehicle licensed from out of state, but it still may save you a lot of money, and it may be worth it just to put your finger in the eye of some of these dealers that are screwing with you within your state. And uh, I've it had friends. Be that, should it shouldn't be that hard. I, I agree. I agree. But it doesn't. But regardless, if it means that you go on a little road trip to get your vehicle, if you're going to save a couple grand or several grand, I say it's worth it. And more importantly, let that dealership know what you did and let your friends know and just, you know, get the community out there. Because the only power you have, the only way you can be an advocate for yourself is to let the world know, based on, unfortunately, the internet, what's happening with that dealership. Yeah, we buy a lot of our cars from Johnson's Auto Center. Because they don't screw us over. They don't, And they don't do dealer markups. Yeah, and that... But, that's why they have our, you know, our notice, and now you know. See, that's 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 how it works. Pay okay. it forward. Yeah. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, thanks for joining us. Uh, as always, uh, it's been fun. Yeah. Uh, and uh, we've got um, we've got um, a new partnership uh, with uh, I think it's called Accuware. They're the company that does. I don't want to say it wrong. They're, they do lifts, and they're trying to get in the Jeep market. Mm-hmm. And the CEO is coming into the office, and I was going to do a bit of a podcast with them. Okay. Um, so hopefully I can do that. Mm-hmm. And so there may or may not be an addition to this podcast, depending on how time it is. So I don't want to say goodbye, and then we'll put an extra bit of – but there might be an additional uh, very interesting interview at, at the end of this if we have the time to do it. All right. Well, you heard it here first, folks. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful week. Be safe out there. And, uh, yeah, I hope you guys are watching so, along. So, so a year from now, I might be trading in – no, I'm gonna keep. Mm-hmm. I, keep I'm it, gonna yeah. keep it for okay. two years at least. All right, there you go. Yeah, and then I'll then me. Which knows? is probably smart because that first year that Tacoma is going to be uh, exactly. Know, that's that's exactly. <laughs> be hard to get. Yeah. We'll, we'll and see whether or not my wife allows it. So you know, whatever. 
Okay, you guys. must be obeyed. Ciao. <laughs> See hey guys, welcome to this very special edition to our podcast. And um, sitting here with uh, Mark Turner. Say hi, Mark. How you doing? Uh, and Mark uh, has had an interesting life. He has spent a lot of his life basically working in the outdoor industry when it comes to Jeeps, now Broncos, Toyotas. So kind of tell me about how you got involved in the aftermarket world, Mark. Yeah, I really started out really young age. Um, I remember being back at eight years old, learning how to weld with oxyacetylene because, you know, on a farm in Iowa, you can't go buy new stuff. Everything that you do, you have to manufacture yourself and you don't really have the good things to manufacture it with. So you're using hodgepodges of things, um, working on tractors, trying to make something work. Really, that's where you start. I actually built my first go-kart out of the rototiller engine, the hinges off the barn, um, all that stuff. So I started really beginning a dirt eater type of life from a young age. And I remember watching Ivan Stewart bombing across the desert on TV on, you know, I roll sports. Mm -hmm. and, and truly, that's really where, where I got my bug, watching Ivan Stewart of all things. Um, and I said, man, someday I'm going to race Baja. This is, this is something I'm going to do. And, and I just kind of just kept thinking that in the back of my mind as I started off in, in my life. So... Um the reason you're on this podcast is because um, you're now the president of AccuAir, yep. uh, which is a company that some of you may know. Uh, but what is interesting about AccuAir is that you're branching off into the off-road space, which I think is brilliant. So uh, basically, um, you build um, air suspension systems for Jeeps uh, to go off-roading. Correct. Uh, and... Uh, I experienced one of those Jeeps uh, at the Moab Easter Jeep Safari uh, when uh, the head of design for Jeep, Mark Allen, installed it in one of his prototypes. And I was like, this is brilliant. Somebody's actually <laughs> making off-roading more comfortable. Because as I get older, I hate to say it, but you know, being more comfortable is almost more important than being more capable. Not right. that it's not capable. Yep. Uh, but uh, we had lunch yesterday, and you, you gave us a Jeep for the summer, so you'll be seeing that a lot in our TFL videos. It's a Wrangler uh, with the AccuAir system. Uh, but one of the things you said to me, which was fascinating, was you know you like solving problems. Correct. So what, so what problems are you solving? So that's really the whole issue. And, yeah. and my entire career in my life is all about solving problems. Just coming out with a new product isn't just a me too situation. Um, when I actually, like I, when I said I went again into racing. Um, yeah, I actually, so you raced Baja. I did. I actually yeah. built my first Baja truck. Yeah. Um, and actually built it right here in Colorado. Yeah. It's the first one. Um, believe it or not, I went seven whole miles. On your first race? My first race. Drove all the way to a Baja race to go seven miles. And what broke? Everything. <laughs> seven so the, miles. So the key, the key to that, though, was is it taught me Honestly, from the very beginning, you have to look at everything and you have to, you have to solve every problem that the vehicle's going to have. So from early on in racing, it really did teach you, like, how do I get there? How do we do this? Um, and so the Baja racing really taught me a lot of that. And, and it made you look at the suspension, not only the suspension. What about the motor? What about the transmission? How does it handle? How does it move? Can you stop hitting rocks? Can you, you know, when do you go fast? When do you go slow? It does teach you a lot of that stuff. Um, and actually, in my first race I ever won, I won in Laughlin, Nevada, which was great. So then that started off the whole winning scenario. And then as I was building these trucks, people started saying, hey, can you do stuff for me on my vehicles and this, that, and the other? And we're talking about the 90s, so the industry's still pretty early. Uh, I started my own off-road store. Um, and that store became something that was like using the aftermarket. And I started getting to know the aftermarket people by doing that store. Uh, was able to sell it, retire for a quick time. Uh, went to Rough Country to help mm -hmm. them with their um, turnaround that they had back in the early 2000s. And now they're monstrous, of course. Uh, left Rough Country, went to Daystar, 
uh, took over a little bit of ownership of Daystar and, and built that up too. So the key to that, but again, every single time, all we were doing was solving problems at every one of these companies. What was our customer base's problem? What was that problem? What was this issue? So fast forward all the way to today. The biggest problem with the Jeep Wrangler is it's a Jeep. Yeah, it's, it's, it's optimized for off-road. Exactly. And we want to make something that can be optimized off-road and on-road. Mm -hmm. But as soon as you lift the vehicle, it creates other issues. So when we decided to do an air suspension, it wasn't just, oh, let's just build an air suspension because we can. It was, what are the problems that we're trying to solve? And very, let's face it, a lot of off-roaders have air suspension. They do. Land Rover has yep. you know, been doing it for a long time. Exactly right. And the, and, and the newer vehicles are more and more, air, air is becoming more and more. And yeah, some people like to compare it back to the old stuff in the 70s and 80s, but think of technology in the 70s and 80s. Things have come so far ahead. So our, our very first problem that we wanted to solve with the Jeep was, and we actually went to a whiteboard and said, hey, listen, let's, let's list out the issues that we have and started writing out the issues. The number one issue with a Jeep, once you lift it, is you can't get in and out of it. And if you, don't want, if you do want to get in and out, you've got to put steps on it. Which, you, which tear off the second you take it off. Right? That's what happened to me. So my <laughs> wife said, I need, I need steps. I'm like, all right, that's not a problem. We put steps on. I took it off road and I ripped them right off. Well, now, not only did I just lose $2,000 in steps, I've also got to carry them off the trail so they're in the back of the Jeep. I've seen a bunch of steps on the trail in Moab. It's surprising <laughs> how often you run into those. So that's <laughs> true. laying there. <laughs> it's a great trail cleanup, cleanup situation. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so you're dragging that thing out. So that was the number one issue. It was not number one, but it was, it was pretty high on the list of entry. Um, my wife has an older dog. She wants to be able to take her dog with her. Well, she couldn't use the Jeep because the dog couldn't get in. Mm. But lowering the suspension down for entry and exit, the dog can get in and get out. It's awesome. We also have some people in our family that are getting a little bit older. Same scenario, making it easy to get in and out. So really, again, it's about solving problems. What's another problem you have with the Jeep Wrangler? Well, to be honest, when you are wheeling, there's times that you need to go up a little bit because you want to get high-centered or you want to go down a little bit. Yeah. So we created the crawl control. Under 25 miles an hour, you can adjust anything you want on that suspension. So, so when he says anything, he means anything. So if you want the Carolina squad, you can have the Carolina squad. If you right. want the uh, anti-Carolina squad, right. <laughs> whatever that's called, you could also, uh, you know, go like this, right? So if the vehicle, you can go but like it's this. Only, but only, 20, only under 25 miles an hour. Because if you're on a side slope, yeah, a side hill. Exactly. You want exactly to flatten right. it out. Yep. And you can control each wheel individually. Each wheel individually, front or back individually, or the whole vehicle together. And we're going to have a video um, showing all this over at all. TFL.com. So if you're curious to see what it looks like, and I can describe it, it's, it's just a little control that you add to the Jeep, basically. Yep. And it uh, uh, has an up arrow and a down arrow, and then there's three positions. So you can be at your highest, your middle, or your lowest, or you can individually control each of the corners, which is really cool. And there's an app, too. So within 25 feet of the vehicle, you can control it with the app. So that was the other thing. We wanted to give the people the ability for off-road use, because like when you go to Cliffhanger in Moab and you're going up that rock after you go through the water, Everybody whacks that with the skid plate really hard. We just air up, we drive over it, bring it back down, good to go. Mm. And then the other thing that was important to me was, is I like to tow with my Jeep. I really do. Um, I, I like to tow my boat around. I want to tow my UTV around when I want to go. You end up like this. And every single time yeah. I'm like this. The, the, and this Jeep suspension just... It, it just can't hold it because yeah. it's designed for certain things. Off-roading, right. not towing. Exactly. And then the other problem with squat, squatting the rear, as you know, is now their stability is gone. It's harder to steer. It's really hard to brake because 80% of the braking is in the front. So we wanted to solve that problem. So basically, you put the, tow, you put the trailer on the back, it hits 25 miles an hour, perfectly levels, you're good to go. Yeah, yeah, that's nice. And then what if, and then yes, I know I just, it's, it's really fun to do all this, but the other thing too, as soon as you put a lift on a Jeep, 
you're going to put a winch on it. Yeah. You're going to put a bumper on it. You're going to put a rack on it. And yeah. As soon as you do that, now your three and a half inch lift kit you just bought is really only a two inch lift kit. So now your tires are rubbing. It's looking weird. Not with the AccuAir. You put it on, set you at three and a half inches after you hit 25, and it remembers that for life. Mm. And if you take it back off, it drops back down. You're back into three and a half as well. Can you lower it on the highway to get better fuel economy? You can. You can on the JL and JT. You can drop it a half an inch. Yeah. So that's what the one or the two on the settings is. And that's only because we do a, we do a thing called FEMSS 126 testing. Yeah, what's that? A lot of data. It's really what the OEs use to decide, does a vehicle work within its stability control parameters? We hire a third-party company. We have no control over it whatsoever. We give them the vehicle. They put the outriggers on it. They put all the computers in it. Put a guy in there with a helmet. And they spin that thing down the track. And it has to pass. It has to actually have the same or better than the OE. These all have that. The yeah. JK, the JL, and the JT all have those from FEMS 126. So um, there's that famous moose test, right? Where, yeah. where you know, the Norwegians take a vehicle and then yeah. pretend there's a moose and they do kind of an emergency. It's exactly what this is. And, and, and often vehicles fail that. Yep. And especially if you lift a vehicle, you're more likely to fail that because what you're doing is you're raising the center of gravity. Exactly right. To make it much less stable. Great off-road, not so great on-road. Right. And so you're saying that, that you actually do the same kind of testing the manufacturer does so that the vehicle is stable. Yep. And it's not actually us. It's a third-party test. Party, facility. Yeah. It's actually done at Jeep's Proving Grounds. Um, they actually take it, they drop it off. We can't, like, they take our cameras, they put their little stickers over them so we can't see anything or film anything, and they test it. Mm. That, you've got to be proud of that because, you know, uh, a lot of the uh, off road suspension that's out there right now not only doesn't take that into account, it also doesn't take into account, for instance, the geometry of the suspension, right? Correct. And I've got to be honest here, you know, we've lifted probably a dozen vehicles over the 12 years we've been doing this. And more often than not, we actually make the ride worse, uh, especially on-road. Right. You make it better off-road, but you make it worse on-road. Yeah, the old saying was whatever you do to make it better off-road makes it just as bad on-road. Mm. The air suspension corrects all those problems and makes it something you truly can use. I call it the Swiss Army knife of suspension kits. You know, that's what it does. It's just awesome. And a lot of people wonder about durability and things like that. And, and durability, technology's come so far on air. I mean, I don't think that's a big concern. Um, and there's always something it can't do. Like, honestly, would I take an air suspension and go run Baja in it? No. I mean, Probably wouldn't last. It wouldn't last. Yeah. But a normal coil spring wouldn't last either. But, I mean, there's, there's limitations to everything. But what we're trying to do is solve what we consider were the top five issues. And I believe we've really got those, and people are going to do it. And you guys are going to test it. And it's going to be awesome because you guys can do whatever you want. I don't care what you do to that Jeep. Um, I, I personally hope, <laughs> I do not care. <laughs> I, I personally hope that when I pick that thing up in six months, it's got 100,000 miles on it. And a, lot, and you, a lot of red mud. <laughs> yeah, and you guys are smiling like this. That's, all, that's, that's my goal. That's my hope. So I, I want you guys to use this thing. We're, truly, we're putting, we're putting our vehicle and our suspension to you to do what you think is, needs to be done to hey, really. The other cool thing I noticed is now that you've got a compressor, you've got onboard air. We do. Which lets you do things like, you know, pump up stuff like yep. tires. <laughs> yep. Or um, if you're into air lockers, you could also use yep. that for your ARB air locker, right? Yep. You no longer need an onboard air system because yeah. you have an onboard air system. You can even add. Because a lot of people bring scuba tanks. They do. And yeah. you don't need to do that anymore. This, this is everything you need. And you can even air up your uh, personal, you know, flotation stuff if you want to take your paddleboard somewhere. You can air it up now. Could you imagine doing that in the Rubicon? Get to the top of the Rubicon. I'm serious. You got the lakes up there. Why not have a paddleboard <laughs> it's true, there and cruise around? How fun would that be? That would be a lot of fun. That but now be... you can do it because yeah, yeah. you can roll it up, put it in the Jeep. And that's, you know, one more thing, too. 
when the vehicle's parked, you I'm can just adjust thinking, it. that water's pretty cold, and I'm very well, bad at paddleboarding. <laughs> <laughs> Tommy's good at it. I always fall in. <laughs> well, if Tommy goes, just make sure he falls in. Okay. So that's the idea. But yeah, you, even if you're camping, you can actually level the, you level the air suspension at night so you, you can sleep perfectly level, and you're good to go. So let me ask you this. Um, how big is that? One of the things I've noticed with OEM stuff, right, is it's very slow, right? You always try to do videos showing that it's got air suspension, and we're always sitting there waiting, and it's like, eh, eh, eh. But I noticed with this Jeep, it just goes, boom. Yep. You know, it drops down quickly, and it raises quickly. Why is that? Is that because you have a bigger tank or a bigger compressor? It's a bigger tank, but yeah. the airlines are different, okay. and that's really the key, because it's just like anything with volume. The bigger it is, the faster you can move it. So the tank is designed for the airlines, and the airlines are designed for the actual air suspension. So all three things have to work together, and that's what creates the fast motion, and it does move incredibly fast. Yeah, which is great because it, 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 it's also kind of a flex, right? You it is. Show off. Yeah, it really, it's fun. It's fun to have. <laughs> have, you, have you wheeled it uh, in Moab and how, how does it wheel? I have wheeled it a yeah. lot. Okay. Um, I tell you, I, I have a JT. Yeah. So, so, so the suspension's good for the JL, JK, and JT, right? Yep. Those, those three Jeeps. Those three Jeeps in, all, in, every, in every configuration. If you got a 392, if you got a diesel, you got everything else. Like your Jeep, since it's the e-torque, yeah. the actual tank itself, just for air, the compressor and everything's still under the Jeep, so all the noise is down below. But the tank's inside. But if you had a normal Jeep, like the 2-liter or just the V6, the actual air tank is underneath the Jeep. So there's a couple different models, per se. But yeah, it's, it fits in every single application of Jeep, that's, every single Jeep that's so, so out So for like non-Jeep people, the JL is the current Wrangler. Yep. The JK is the previous generation. Previous year, yep. Started right. so, 2007. Yeah, so it's a lot of years of Wrangler that, that this works on. Yep. And exactly. how much does it cost? You know, the kit's seven grand. Okay. And at first, some people might say, oh, my God, seven grand. But it's a lot of money. It is. But start, if you start going the back way of subtracting it, the first thing you don't need is steps. Take $2,000 off. You also don't need an, an onboard oh, air. 3000 if you're going to break them off and then... Exactly right, and then drag them back off the trail, and then and then you got the dump fee on top of that. So that's another twelve bucks. Um, okay. But yeah, but then take and then take your onboard air. That's yeah. another thousand bucks. So you that you save. So really, yeah. you've already got three thousand. Don't need a scuba tank. Exactly right, and the fact that you can get in any garage you want, you can put any load you want in it, and if you and you. It just it just solves all those problems. And in reality, it's only three thirty five hundred bucks. Because you're going to take all these other it, it things It does off. increase towing capacity, right? It, it really does. Yep. It, does it increase capacity? It, we, we designed the suspension yeah. to work with the OE standards. Which is, I think, a, a JL is like 5,000. It is. It's max, yeah. yeah. Exactly right. Yeah. But it'll, it'll meet or exceed. Okay. Uh, so we, we don't suggest it, of course. So that's, that's for the kit. And where can they buy it? They can buy it anywhere. You can go to your new local off-road shop. Okay, they can they go to Acura.com and buy it. And a lot of guys will ask, can you, can, you, uh, can you install this yourself? And you can. We actually had a guy in New Jersey do it in a parking garage. Yeah, why not? So it could be done. You got the tools. It took him 18 hours yeah. in a parking garage <laughs> by himself. And a lot of explaining. <laughs> exactly. And it's, it's really, the, the biggest issue with it is there's just more components. You're still, just like any other normal lift kit you put on, it has control arms, track bars, and the airbags go in like the coils. They do bolt in, but there's no cutting. There's no drilling. Who, who do you use for your shocks? Uh, we actually use JRI shocks. Okay. And JRI shocks are specially tuned to go with these bags. And the JRI, as you guys know, are F1 guys. They make an F1 shocks, NASCAR shocks, military shocks. They these guys a, make a lot of stuff. Billet. They do. Yeah, they're really beautiful. They're, I saw them under there. That's good. And, and, and they're high-quality shocks. Yeah. They really are. Um, so 7000 and then how much would a shop 
if you don't want to do it yourself, usually charge and install it. Depends, you know, right? it depends on the yeah. shop. It really does. It depends. If you go to if you go to somebody that does air because they're used to running a lot of lines all the time, and the, the lines aren't hard. They're all push-in style fittings, but it is double work because you do have to now run air lines, whereas before you'd be done. And that's where the time comes in. And putting a regulator inside the vehicle, but you want the air regulator to be able to air up your tires and air up all your other stuff. Yeah, and I noticed it's, uh, and like I said, go to LTFL if you want to see where all these bits are at, but the, the, the tank is really mounted to the sports bar. It is. And then the compressor is underneath yep. the Jeep, yeah. So we keep all the, we keep the noise away. Well, yeah, because there is noise, but it, 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 it depends how much you're using it, right? So, right. So if you're, you know, if you're doing... <laughs> yeah, if you're jumping it around, it's going to make some noise, but realistically, it's not that bad. And it's cool because you can kind of have a low rider Jeep. Right. <laughs> right. Yep. And then you can have a high rider Jeep, or you can have just a highway driver Jeep. Exactly right. So uh, what's your favorite part of the suspension? You've got it on your, your Jeep, I take it. My, my favorite, honestly, yeah. my, fa my personal favorite yeah. is the towing. Okay. To me, it's everything because it just, I like the ability to throw the, throw the boat on the back and go wherever I want to go and not have to worry. And not about blind it. oncoming traffic. Exactly right. <laughs> and, and also be able to stop. Yeah. To me, that's a big issue because, as you guys know, I mean, it's, it's one of those things. It's all about putting it all together. And if you ask my wife what her favorite is, it's the entry exit because it's so easy to jump in, in and out of the Jeep. Now, of course, um, Bronco has come back from the dead. Uh, are you guys working on a Bronco suspension? We it must are. be a little bit more. It must be more difficult because now we're talking about independent suspension versus Correct. solid axles. That's got to be trickier. It's all about geometry. Yeah. It's all about everything else. Um, the thing is, if you think about the Jeep, we've been working on this Jeep kit for years. It wasn't something we did in like two months. This thing took years to do. Mm. The Bronco, same thing. We're about a year and a half into it, and by the end of the year, we'll have it out. Okay, Tacoma. Tacoma is our favorite project coming yeah. up. Okay, so that's also coming. We're, we're very excited about Tacoma as well. Yeah, because not only has the current one been around forever. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, guys. <laughs> it's true. Yeah, that's right. But now that the new uh, Tacoma has been introduced, usually the way that introduction cadence works is a year after there's a new Tacoma. A uh, year after a new Tacoma, there's a new uh, Forerunner. So we should be seeing that as well. Yep. Should be fun. Yeah, should be fun. Well, uh, Mark, I'm very grateful that you not only you know gave us a Jeep to uh, spend uh, some time with and, and, and test out, but that you actually came out here to Colorado uh, to show off this product. And it, I think it shows just how much you stand by the product, yeah. right? That you're willing to actually come here and not just like, here's a Jeep, go at it. Actually, you know, you yourself are, are here showing us and telling us how this stuff works. Yeah, I think really the key to it, too, is, is that a lot of companies tend to forget that they're entrepreneurs. They tend to forget that they're actually people that do it. I mean, I own two Jeeps. My CEO owns a Jeep. The guys on the board own Jeeps. My COO is a Jeep guy. It's, it, it's like we're not doing this just because we're a business. We're doing this because we're enthusiasts. And if you're enthusiastic about what you do and you're going to go out and use it every single day and see everybody out there, that's what makes it exciting and that's what makes it fun. And just before you put this in the comments, uh, I'm sure Mark knows this uh, and we can speak to it, but Acura did go bankrupt basically, but this is a new ownership yeah, group. That, yeah, that was previous ownership. They yeah. went bankrupt a few years ago and yeah. basically our company bought them out of bankruptcy. Um, so it's all new people except we did grab some of the engineering people and stuff like that. But this is all new ownership and all enthusiast based ownership. Are you having fun? Oh, it's a blast. Yeah. I mean, I love it. I love the car market too. I've always been, I mean, I've, I, I love cars as well. Um, I love doing the Mercedes yesterday. That was really cool. So I think to me, it's, um, uh, it's just the two things. You got the car, you got the off-road. It's like the perfect job, a perfect place to be. Yeah, um, 
Unfortunately, you live in Florida where there's not a lot of, <laughs> lot of there's mudding in Florida, I believe, right? right? There is. Because I think in Naples, they do that like swamp buggy racing. And it's a blast to watch. If you ever get down there, you got to go check it out. It's the funnest thing I'm, ever. I'm, you know, my mom lives down, I'm Marco, and I'm always down there, but never during the racing because I think it's only like once a year, right? It is. Yeah. Yep, have exactly. you seen it actually? I have. I love it. It's the best thing uh, ever. What I'm talking about are these specially built uh, vehicles, and they have basically, well, it's not even a swamp. It's like a, it looks like a small lake, right? It's just true. It's like a big mud pit. It's like a big yeah. mud pit, and they have these super tall Yeah, like six-foot wheels, wheels, wheels and tires. Yeah. yeah, And then they race around. This, yeah. yeah, it's really And they cool. really move, and they actually have hydrofoil, hydrofoil fins on, so they get up on the water. It's really, it's a blast to watch. Yeah, it's unique to Florida. Yeah, it's yeah. a great thing. I love doing that. And the good thing is, is Wheeling isn't that far away. I mean, we always have Kentucky. We always, and then getting out to Moab and Colorado isn't that far of a drive. You were you at the Eastern Jeep Safari this year? Oh, yeah, 100%. Yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah we went out and ran a lot of trails on the Eastern Jeep. And will it last? Well, air suspension. I mean, does oh, it yeah. Least, yeah, it's going to last. It's going to last. Yep. All right. I mean, we carry a limited lifetime warranty on it anyway, but the wow. suspension is going to last, and there's so no. If an airbag goes out on you, just like, give you another one. Oh, that's nice. I mean, it's not good. And the, the reason we say that is because it's not going to go bad. Okay. So it's really easy for us to, to put that as a warranty because we don't. We're not worried. Yeah. Well, thank you very much. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you, and thank you guys. Uh, come back next time uh, when we'll uh, you know continue with these interesting conversations. Ciao. Thanks, guys. $5,000. That's the average amount of money people in the U.S. are now spending on gas in a year. Five grand. That's crazy. If you drive, you have to download Upside, the free app that gives you cash back every time you get gas. That's right. You can earn real cash back with Upside just by buying the gas you're already buying. You can literally start earning cash back today. I use Upside every time I fill up, and I've already made around two, $300. You're putting gas in your car anyway. Why not get real cash back? If you like free money, download Upside. I'm saving the cash I earn from using Upside to help pay for a vacation later this year. Download the free Upside app now to earn cash back every time you buy gas. Use promo code GAME to get an extra 25 cents per gallon on your first tank. You can cash out anytime right to your bank, PayPal, or a gift card for Amazon and other brands. Just download the free Upside app and use promo code GAME for a 25 cents per gallon bonus on your first tank. That's code GAME for a 25 cents per gallon bonus.